absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I got my man, my buddy Scott, who is... Um, Scott, you're a little, uh, little down this week, aren't you? I am a little downtrodden um, because this is, uh, as I was just mentioning to Dan before we started recording, the first time in probably about 10 years that I am not in attendance at the Travelers Championship. Yeah, I mean, that is normally a solid 100% go for you every single year. I actually always look forward to the week after the U.S. Open, which was not played this year, obviously, at normal time. I always look forward to the pictures that you send from the Travelers. Yes, and usually I'm, like I said, I'm usually one of the first people through the gate there. Um, It's something that, uh, you know, I I usually, I'm still working, so I'd usually take a day off of work uh, to go to either Wednesday practice rounds or the first round on Thursday. Um, In some cases, I've actually done both. Um, But, uh, yeah, I, I had tickets. I actually had a, a, a weekly pass this year. My my plan was to really go, you know, pretty hard at the Travelers. Um, and I, I was looking forward to it because I, I actually um, only went one day last year. I'd been going two days the, the previous five. And I have a routine. I get there early. I hang out at the range for a while. I head over to the, the 10th tee and watch groups go out there on Thursday and kind of make my way around the back nine. I have a, a spot that I kind of skip around to skip a hole or two. Uh, and then I usually swing back uh, to the front, follow a group or two through the front, uh, grab some lunch at the, the course's clubhouse. Uh, shout out to the, the clubhouse staff. I miss you guys and your hamburgers. And then I'll just kind of hang around for a little while longer. So. I love that you have a game plan that you implement when you go there. We'll get into the travelers a little bit, but I think we should probably let people know like what we've been up to. We've been a little bit sparse in terms of putting out podcasts, put out a ton of content on Instagram and stuff like that, but the podcasts have kind of taken a back seat. Um, I've been traveling. I'm, I'm actually just back from North Carolina now, so I'm back home in PA. Just spent about four hours cutting my grass, and uh, we'll throw this together uh, what about yourself? You're we're done with work now, right? So I, I am done with work as of last week. However, I uh, I do have some summer things that I do, um, you know, obviously, because I like money. Uh, shout out Kevin Kisner. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if they're going to offer me money to do things, I'll do them. And For sure. So I have this week to kind of, you know, relax and prep. And next week, I kind of start again with the the work grind. But that's all right. Yeah, I think we should let people know that we still have not gotten that Beth Page Black Tea Time. So if you're out there and you can hook us up with that, please do, because Scott and I have been working on that. Um, However, Scott, I'll tell you what, I did get to play an awesome course that I've heard a lot about all the time. Seen it on social media, seen it on YouTube. Uh, people have told me about it. They say, I don't know why you haven't played this. It's only like 50 minutes from where you know you are in North Carolina. And I got to play with a really cool guy, Grant Gears of Eagles and Arrows. Now, just shout out Grant and Eagles and Arrows. They, they came on as a full-time sponsor uh, of the podcast. You'll hear an ad for them later on. But Grant was awesome. I brought my oldest son, Lydon. 
he brought his two kids and his wife drove around in a cart. Uh, we got paired up with a, a fourth guy named Tyler. And Scott, this place, Wilmington Municipal, is a 1926 Donald Ross design. I can't believe that this this municipal course, this public golf course, is just in the middle of Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'm not sure these people understand what they have. I think it's almost like you and me growing up around Eisenhower and around Bethpage. We didn't know what we had because it was just normal to us. You know, like I say all the time, like I grew up sleigh riding at Bethpage. It was like, okay, whatever. They're just big hills. You know what I mean? Number one's a big hill. Uh, it was fantastic, dude. Great round of golf. Yeah, and that's so that's the other the the crazy thing. Like a lot of these muni courses, like people don't realize some of the older ones that have been around for a while have legit pedigrees. Um, yes. A, a bunch of the Westchester public courses are Tillinghouse designs. A lot of the ones I'm assuming down in Carolina are Donald Ross designs. Um, yep. just, people just don't realize it because they're just golf courses. And once you actually look into it a little bit more, you find out, oh, wow, the person who designed this course also designed Pinehurst. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, uh, great great segue you didn't know to mention this segue but fantastic dude i mean it there were some greens where i stood there and i just looked around i did like a 360 and there was such distinct pinehurst number two vibes it was just unreal you know i mean very uncanny uh and completely different land completely different terrain than the sand hills of north carolina you know two and a half hours north of uh of wilmington but it was it was awesome um but i'll tell you what it's one of the things where i was telling my old son Leiden that muni golf is so different than either private club or semi-privates or like your local goat track or you know the goat track of all time because they they i don't want to say they don't care and i don't mean that about the course and stuff but realistically in muni golf like you're a number you know you're a round of golf you're a paid number that that's checked off on a sheet and you know already we had grant his two kids, his wife, myself, and Lydon. That's six people already, right? Technically, we were only a threesome because it was Grant, Lydon, and myself. And then the starter says, oh, you're playing with Tyler. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, they're literally going to send, you know, seven of us out and not care. And they didn't, you know, because Grant got a cart and we were all walking. But every single tea time is packed. It's always four people. Like, you never get to go out with just you and your buddies or twosome or threesome or something, you know, you and I experienced that growing up on Long Island. I mean, remember Eisenhower Park? It could be a minute before our tea time, and we'd be like, oh, we're the only two. And then, a, you know, another couple rolls up, or a fat guy named Al rolls up and fills out the group. Always a, always a fat guy named Al. Yeah, no, it, and it almost didn't matter what time of day it was. Like, there could be no one in front of you, no one behind you, and you're, you know, you're getting ready to tee off and another guy will come running up. And next thing you know, like, all right, well, you're playing with him, too. So there you go. Dude, it's so true. Look, we had a 5 p.m. tee time on a Friday. Now, I get it. It's the summer. And I understand that, you know, it is a semi-touristy area around Wilmington and the beaches. But you figure 5 p.m. on a Friday playing nine holes, you know, you're going to have the kind of the place to yourself. Couldn't be more wrong. Could not be more wrong. 440, 450, 5 o'clock, 510, 520, 530, all filled. 
you know, it's like it's like a conveyor belt out there. You just get sent off the assembly line and you go out to play. Uh, yep, that's exactly how I I remember playing like Muni golf is. It's been and, a while actually for me that I've played a, a Muni. Yeah, and I know it's it's funny because it's the first time that that my oldest son has played a true municipal course, and he loved it. He loved the course. I mean, for anyone out there that that loves Donald Ross and his design, you know that there's there's two factors that make a Ross course. And the first one is obviously the green complexes, and the second one is the way that the fairways are shaped. So you have to be on the correct side of the fairway. Um, not that you won't have a shot into the green, but it's going to be that much more difficult. And I got to tell you, Scott, I've played probably a, a dozen, you know, distinct, true original Ross courses. And this by far had my favorite green complexes. And you know I've played number two. And this one jumped to the top of the list. Wow, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a ring and endorsement, but it comes with the caveat that the place is going to be mobbed. You know, you're going to have to rush around. You don't really get to kind of smell the roses. No, uh, that's and so it's funny that you mentioned like some of the greens. If you stand on them, it's it they remind you very much of of Pinehurst and things like that. There's a a it's a I forget which of the Westchester County courses it is. But there were years where they were debating over who who actually designed the course. You know, was it A.W. Tillinghouse or one of his sort of protégés? And it took a while. And eventually they found in someone's records, uh, a you know, a, a cashed check from someone indicating that, you know, Tillinghouse had done design work for this particular course. They had been brought in to help. And I remember I had played it before they um, before they found that. And I, I remember standing on one of the tee boxes and going, this feels like Beth Page. Like this hole reminds me very much of the seventh hole of Beth Page. And it turns mm-hmm. out same, same design, same designer. So it's, that's one of the cool things yeah, well, about you that. You know, that's funny because, you know, Shawnee Country. Yes. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent. Shawnee Country Club, which is a place that, you know, we've featured on Instagram and we talk about and, you know, you've played, I've played, the BJ Championship was held there, holds no distinction to the same type of land that Bethpage is on. You know, Bethpage for, for Long Island has a lot of undulation, but there are holes where you stand in the middle of the island on Shawnee and you're like, wow, this could be the seventh hole at Bethpage, you know, if, if it was bigger and brawny. And it's just that design style that kind of leaks and seeps into everything that these architects do. It's a pretty cool thing. Um, hey, let's also let people know we are both, um, you know, kind of recording remotely. I'm not in the podcast studio. You're not in the in the podcast studio. So if you happen to hear birds or my neighbors or someone starts up a lawnmower, I mean, it is what it is, people. It's the summer, right? Let's get after it. Yeah, um, I was going to say there's there's a good chance that you might hear some of my neighbors, you know, hanging out by the pool. Yeah. Hey, and it's all good. Um, well, look, let's, let's turn to something that's near and dear to your heart. The Travelers Championship going on right now. Um, what's nice about this is the fact that we can get an actual 
complete snapshot of how it's being played post-COVID or actually in COVID times compared to previous years because this tournament is actually going off at the same time that it normally would. It's the week after the U.S. Open. Last week was supposed to be the U.S. Open. This week is always the Travelers Championship, so it hasn't been moved around. The course is playing as normal. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes just absolutely murders the first round, has a shot at shooting 59 Shoot 60 leads none other than your pick, the man you literally DMX ride or die for, Rory McElroy by three. Mackenzie Hughes is 10 under, Rory is 7 under right now, Scott. Is this Rory's week or is he going to have another implosion on the greens? Uh, well, so this is a course, by the way, that typically uh, guys go super low on. For sure. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm almost certain this is the, the home of Furyk 58. Yeah, it, well, it is, and it, it it's Bubba going crazy, you know, winning mm-hmm. like three times. Now, look, I've I've never been there. You've been there. I understand that it's a Northeast course in the summer, and while most people would be led to believe that the course would play firm and fast, it's actually the exact opposite because of the heat and humidity we get in the Northeast. It needs to be constantly watered so this grass doesn't die. Um, mm-hmm. So you've been there so many times. Why is it? where someone this week could literally on the PGA Tour win at 25 or 27 under? So uh, I would say there's a, a few reasons. A couple reasons have to do with what you just mentioned, that it does not play firm and fast. Uh, I think, and I, I there's a chance that I'm wrong, but I feel like it, it's, the course is TPC River Highlands, I feel like it's River Highlands, but I feel like it sits in a bowl. And I think most of the greens are in what would be considered lowland. So I think a lot of the the course tends to just be wet. Uh, I, I know for a fact a lot of the course tends to be wet because I've walked around there and gotten my feet wet, uh, you know, just casually walking through fairways. Um, so there's that. The... Fairways themselves are pretty wide. There's not a lot of um, not a lot of space uh, that you can go wrong. Even if you miss, I feel like there's not a lot of danger on. I would say 13 or 14 of the holes. Um, yeah, that gotcha. there's you know un- unless you really, really, really blow one, you for the most part you're going to be okay. Um, and it's not a course that has high rough. So, you know, there's that. And there's a few short-ish holes. So there's, you know, a couple drivable, really one drivable par four, but, you know, one that, like, really longer guys can get to, you know, not in one, but, like, you know, with a wedge on their second shot. Uh, and then there's a few par fives that are definitely reachable in two. So... You add all that up, you end up with crazy low scores. Yeah, I don't know too many par fives that aren't reachable in two nowadays. I mean, for you know the majority of these guys, but you you make a good point about how there's really you know there's no rough and there's nothing to scare guys away or deter them from taking these crazy lines. Um, and it is a TPC course, so I mean, the P, the PGA Tour is an entertainment product, right? Um, we want to see birdies. We want to see eagles. Like every once in a while, yes, we want to see guys grind and make pars like the U.S. Open. But even the U.S. Open is turning into, 
uh, you know, a, a four or five under par event where it used to be, you know, you think of like the massacre at Wingfoot, you know, where like six or seven on over one or whatever that was at that time. I can't remember the exact score. Um, but here, you know, the last few years, you've had like everything from, from 12 under to 17 under winning. And I just want to reference, you mentioned Jim Furyk's 58. That was the final round of 2016. How crazy is it, Scott, if you told someone on the PGA Tour, like you're going to shoot a 58 this week, but you're not going to win. You're mm-hmm. actually going to be three behind, you know, the winner and place T5. Furyk that week went 73-66, 72-58. That might be the most inconsistent week of all time. Over par, under par, over par, and then the PGA Tour scoring all-time record. Yeah, um, I and that Sunday I actually witnessed a couple of his his holes. Um, he was unconscious, like he was. There was nothing he was going to miss. So sometimes you just get super hot, and that's him. Yeah. Yeah, so, especially there on those greens. Now, those greens are not exceptionally large, right? So most of the guys are having wedges in, so they're not, they're not having to navigate 50, 60-foot putts. You know, at, at most, they're, they're 20, 30-footers max. Pretty much, yeah. So what's, what's really impressive, I just took a look at the, uh, the shot link for Mackenzie Hughes' round. The, uh, the last uh, three holes there definitely – are pretty tough. They play over water uh, or or like a longish par four. Um, although for them, it's not really that long. Um, but yes, and it, it, even if you had in 15, 15 is the drivable par four. Um, he birdied out 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, that's not an easy feat on that course. Definitely, definitely difficult. So... That, that's the makings uh, of a really low round. You know, guys that typically shoot low rounds in the first round normally don't back it up. It's very, very difficult. You know, I mean, you go out, you, you think you and I, amateur players, any amateur player out there can relate to this. You know, you go out and you shoot like you're two or three above your career best. Let's say it's a 78 or so. The next day you can go out and shoot a 92 easily. You know, yep. it's it's amazing what these guys do. But I mean, we're preaching to the choir for the people that are listening out there. Um, going to be a great tournament fills up there. Uh, you know, a few strokes back. Um, you've got, like I said, Rory up there, which, uh, you know, this, this course suits him perfectly because he is one of the best act the one of, I mean, he's really the best driver on tour. Um, he was hitting a little bit back from big Bubba Bryson, who's been bombing it all over the place. Um, but, Scott, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that we are still in the middle of COVID-19. God, I feel like it's like COVID-22 at this point mm-hmm. in time. We have Nick Watney, Camp Champ, Brooks's caddy, Graham McDowell's caddy, which leads to Brooks and Graham McDowell withdrawing. We've got Vaughn Taylor and Luke Liss, who played with Nick Watney last week, being um, you know open to infection by by COVID-19 here here are a few things just to give people an idea if they're not following along players were getting tested before they were taking the tournament shuttle you know the 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 airplane to tournaments but again they weren't being tested on site so those tests take about a day to get back and you know Watney tested positive and he removed himself from the tournament a WD Camp Champ obviously found out before the tournament started. WD'd. Brooks did the same thing. 
Graham McDowell does the same exact thing. Uh, I don't know if people know this, Scott, but these players are giving a stipend of $100,000 if they test positive for COVID-19. I'm not sure what I feel for that. Um, This is infinitely more money than a person would get if they missed the cut. And quite honestly, if you made the cut and finished, you know, last or dead to last or even, you know, 40th, you wouldn't make $100,000. And the tour's paying them um, to test positive, if you will, for COVID-19. What are your thoughts on this? Is, is, Is it a weird thing or is it... Was it one of those things where, you know, Monaghan meets with the PAC council and Charlie Hoffman and they said, look, man, you know, if we're going to risk our lives coming back out here to play, like, you got to hook us up if something bad goes on. Yeah, I feel like what you just said is probably what happened. It's one of those, like, everything's a negotiation. So, correct. And, and these guys are, you know, they don't want to put themselves at risk. They don't want to put their families at risk. Um, you know, they have teams of people who work with them. They don't want to put them at risk and doing this puts all of those people at risk. So what's the, the hazard pay if in the event that something happens, we do get COVID. So I I think it makes perfect sense. Um, because here's the thing, uh, those guys are out now for obviously this tournament and possibly for the next one. Yeah, or, and, or longer. So right, right, because so much of it's going to depend on how their immune systems are, how quickly they bounce back, um, how long the antibodies are staying in their system. And I just want to I want to throw some numbers out there for people. So the PGA Tour has done two thousand seven hundred and fifty seven total tests for both the PGA Tour and Corn Ferry Tour in the first three weeks. Point zero two five have come back positive. That's seven of the 2,757. So while that is a number that stands out to people because, you know, it's sensationalism and it's news to say that, hey, a PGA Tour guy tested positive, you know, for coronavirus, um, you know, obviously the numbers are exceptionally low still. However, they can, and, you know, quite frankly, with the amount of testing the PGA Tour is doing, will increase in the future. Sure. that's And that's, ultimately, that's the thing. There this isn't going away. So there's going to be people who test positive. You know, it's, it's my understanding, obviously that most, if not all of the tournaments were going to be played without fans. Now Muirfield was going to play with 25% of fans allowed on site. I'm wondering if the PGA tour, if Monaghan, if the PAC council has a number in mind of players that test positive over a certain amount of time where they're just going to say, hey, you know what? We're not allowing fans at all. And then and then, what becomes the blowback? What becomes the pushback from a tournament that says, well, look, I was promised to be able to have 8,000 fans on site, and I've already told my vendors and you know security and all these people that I'm employing that that's going to occur. And then the PJ Tour comes back and says, well, you know, we, we can't have that. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Right. And that's in the end, you know what? Sorry, this is what we need to do to keep everybody safe. And if you can't, you know, get a, can't go along with that, then, you know, maybe we don't need to have the tournament here. 
Yeah, I you know it's it's funny because obviously Mirrorfield in Ohio being Jack's tournament, you know, the reason being it's Jack's tournament. I mean, that's why it's the first one with fans. I mean, let's make no bones about it. Um, you know, if if Jack asked for a golden statue of himself to be put up in the PGA Tour headquarters in Ponte Vedra, uh, it would probably be erected within the next week or so. He gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But the thing is, Jack is such a gentleman. He's such a good guy that, you know, he would be the first to say, I don't want to put anybody in jeopardy. You know, Jack would fall on a sword for the PGA Tour. And I'm well, wondering if they fall on it for him. Uh, well, I hmm. I was just about to say, I I think because the two legacies are, are tied so closely together that uh, I don't know that either side is going to want to upset the other side too much. Sure. You I know, mean, I can, and I that's, can, that's you the scratch thing. my it's, back, I scratch yours. Well, and that's, there's, there's no, there's no PGA tour without Jack. And, you know, is there really a Jack without the PGA tour? It's, you know, I, I mean, I think the tour is more yeah. dependent on his I mean, his legacy than he is it. But you know what I mean? Oh, I think so. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that because Jack had such an amazing, you know, as I've learned and as we've learned, Jack had such an amazing run with the USGA. You know, his legacy might have been solidified just based on USGA events that he played. You know what I'm saying? Like if there was no PGA tour. You got to think, Jack's legacy is built upon these 18 majors, and the PGA Tour runs none of those. True, but the question is, is he even thinking about playing professional golf if there's no PGA Tour? Right. Or no fledgling PGA Tour at that point. Yeah, Um, because you got to figure Arnie was the one that kind of really – you know, with his media company, you know, push them to the forefront, you know, with IMG. And then Jack comes along as this amazingly marketable villain to mm-hmm. Arnie's superhero. Exactly. Yeah, so, no, good point. You know, and, and hey, uh, I don't know where, oh, where he's at in terms of other sports, but, uh, you know, from, you know, a lot of these other, a lot of these guys could theoretically have played other sports successfully. Yeah, I mean, Jack looks like he was a, a real big boy, maybe a uh, lineman or something along those lines, you know? What's it? His grandson's a tight end, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was at Florida State. I can't. I don't. I want to say he played for the Carolina Panthers, but I can't be positive of that. I might be making that up, but he was at Florida State. I know that, and a very, very good tight end at that. Um, Scott, let's break real quick for an Eagles and Arrows ad read. What do you say? Love it. All right. Hey, people, we told you Eagles and Arrows is on as one of our sponsors. And I got to tell you, their stuff is fantastic. I love it because of the kind of vintage inspired look with the modern twist. You know, the game of golf is more than a sport. It's a lifestyle. Blue skies, bright sun, the walk, good friends and the shots that keep you coming back. That is golf. Iconic, vintage and classic. Now, Eagles and Arrows didn't create the look. They only perfected it. Eagles and Arrows provides a classic American golf look with a modern spin. Hats, gloves, t-shirts, and my favorite, and you should check this one out, Scott, online, the Vintage American Carry Bag are some of the amazing items you can find at eaglesandarrows.com. 
Go give them a follow on Instagram at Eagles and Arrows CO. Go to the website, order something, tell them leave the pin sent you, get the discount. Love golf, live life, Eagles and Arrows. Um, Scott, their vintage American carry bag is sick, and Grant was playing with it when we played at William, Wilmington, excuse me, Municipal. And uh, they have it in like four different colors, and it looks like something you could have pulled off the rack in the 1940s, but mm. completely updated materials, look, you know, gorgeous uh, fixings all over, great intricate work in the details. Pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm just looking at their their website right now. They have some some really cool stuff. So yeah, that, I know uh, awesome. a bunch of people have bunch of people have messaged me on Instagram and um, you know just hey send send Grant a, a message send him a DM through Instagram he's gonna get back to you he's gonna hook you up with the leave the pin discount I mean what else what more could you want um, and while we're talking about kind of vintage iconic guys um, Scott Phil is 50 years old now yes he is he turned 50 two weeks ago and and he turns 50 and then he shoots 64 at the Travelers Championship um, is Phil the first of our generation of golfers that is going to be able to play the tour till maybe post 55 years old? Um, do you count VJ Singh? Well, here, here's the thing. I know you and I grew up with VJ Singh, let's say, right? But Phil, yes. even though he's almost a decade older than us, you know, I, I I always just envision Phil as being part of our generation because you and I watched him grow up, you know, yep. from a goofy, long-haired collegiate golfer at Arizona State to, to winning, um, you know, his first PGA Tour event as an amateur and putting the stupid little conquistador helmet on to, to everything. I mean, you know, we've, we've seen him fail at Wingfoot. We've seen him triumph. At Augusta, and 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 we've been along the ride every step of the way. I feel like VJ for us, for you and I specifically, we were kind of on the VJ train. You know, once he had made his name, but I feel like for Phil, we were in on the ground floor. True, very true. And um, I gotta ask you, is someone drowning out there? I just no. want to make sure no one's drowning. No, no, no. They're having okay. a great time with okay. like water guns. Okay, okay, good, good, good. So, yeah, so the only, so VJ's 57 right now. So from 50 to 55, he still had some tour success. But uh, it looks like recently it's fell off. Right. And, and don't forget, VJ was the one who at like, and I'm messing these numbers up, and you can probably correct me, at like 47 or 48, you know, won six times on tour or, or won nine times within a two or three year span in his late forties. I mean, I uh, think VJ is the epitome of playing great golf towards the end of your forties. So uh, he won nine, nine times in 2004, which is 16 years ago. So that puts him at 41. Okay. The last, his last tour win came in 2008. Uh, actually, he had ago. three tour wins in 2008. So he was 45. That's Correct. that's that's pretty good. I feel like Phil now, granted, you know, with all his, you know, Phil's just as crazy as Bryson when you break it down, 
right? Uh, if, if not he, crazier. Yeah, he drinks this this the crazy coffee. He's got the Mizzen and Main shirts going when he had that. Uh, you know, he's a corporate shill for these big time, you know, white collar companies that are out there. But I'm not sure that there's anybody 50 years or older that's in better shape on tour and on the senior tour than Phil. Well, and he was able to stay mostly injury-free throughout his career also. Very true. Um, because if you if you take a look at kind of like the older guys that have had some success, you know, you take, obviously, Phil, there's, you know, VJ. Um, you know, VJ famously, you know, used the, the deer antler spray. Um, you know, who who else? I mean... I guess if you want to say like, you know, couples has some success at the masters every year. Um, Davis love the third, I think has a, a win post 50, but for the most part, you know, those guys, they had some, some injuries to deal with. And Phil really hasn't. Yeah. I think Phil, Phil's biggest yeah, layoff I mean, wasn't for injury. It was really for um, the arthritis and he took some time off because Amy had cancer. Right. Right. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, nothing self-induced, um, if you will. You know, what's, what's hilarious is when you take into account the other guys that are, you know, kind of around his age. Um, you got guys like Stuart Appleby, right? Um, you know, one of the Mr. 59s. Um, KJ Choi is is mm. is approaching fifty. Angel Cabrera is up there, you know, with a few majors. But I mean, really, he's it's like him, Furick, Stricker, right? You know, those 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 are the guys that 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 I can kind of envision as being ones that could still be competitive on tour, and, and honestly. If the course is too long, you got to bump Strick out of it. So you really got guys like Furick and Phil. And quite honestly, at this point in their career, I, I don't think that's even a contest between Furick and Phil. You know, Phil no. can hang. Phil can hang with with JT. I mean, literally and figuratively on the course and off the course. And I think that's one of Phil's greatest um Greatest achievements in golf is the fact that he's been able to. He, you know, Phil's a chameleon, right? If if you wanted to go out to a bar and drink with Phil, he would do that with you. If you mm -hmm. wanted to talk about insider stock trading, he, he would do that with you. Um, if you want to talk about the the ins and outs of buying like an eighteen million dollar home, he could do that with you. And he's done that on the PGA Tour, where he's positioned himself to work with these older guys and befriend these older guys to talk about like course management and stuff. Um, but he's done the opposite and worked with these young guns and been like, Hey, let me keep up with you off the tee. Show me what you guys do. And I'll show you what I do in short game stuff. And it really has paid off for him. Right. And, and again, he stayed in really good shape. So he's still able to do some of those things, you know, and if anything, he's gotten more flexible. Um, you know, in his, his later years by getting himself into, you know, even better shape. So I, I guess he could conceivably, again, barring injury, he could continue to play fairly well for another 
five to seven years at the so at the, at the least. Yes, uh, especially in golf. You know, we see guys. You know, just think about when we were kids, right? It's funny because back in the day, sixties and seventies and eighties. You used to see professional athletes, minus football, because obviously the, the shelf life there is very short, but you used to see professional athletes play into their 40s. I mean, take a look at any baseball cards from like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and there's some guys that look like, you know, they could barely get off the couch, and mm-hmm. they're pro athletes. And obviously the athletes have changed over time. And I think what you saw in like the late, late 90s, 2000s to, to the 2010s, was the rise of like the extremely phenomenal young athlete who burned out super quickly, who was kind of walking that tightrope, that razor line between exceptionalism and injury. Mm-hmm. And now I think we've taken what we knew back then with what we learned in the 2000s, and these guys are playing longer and longer. I mean, you don't have to look any further than guys like, you know, and people still think he's young, but he's not. But guys like LeBron, guys like Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, Tiger. I mean, all these guys are approaching 40, over 40, late, late 30s at a time when, you know, the majority of teams, their average age is like, you know, between 25 and and 28 or so. Right. And I, I, so I just looked it up. The other person who came to mind immediately when I thought about golfers in their early or late 40s, early 50s was Angel Cabrera. Uh, and Angel Cabrera also is 50. So I, I feel like comparing Cabrera to Mickelson, I, I think there's definitely a case that could be made for keeping yourself in good shape. There, there is. And, there's also a case that could be made that, you know, and I completely think that golf is a sport nowadays, but uh, El Pato, the duck, is literally the antithesis of that. Dude's mm-hmm. got two majors, walks around eating salted snacks and smoking just as much as John Daly. Um, his gut alone probably weighs the same as me. And, you know, six years ago, you would have said him and Phil were on the same career track. Now, obviously, Phil's exceeded that, you know, with the win at the Open Championship. But you got to remember, back before Phil had, you know, the Masters and stuff like that, him and Angel Cabrera were basically in the same boat. I mean, they were contemporaries. Yeah, sure. Um, six years ago, Angel Cabrera had a win. Yeah. So, <laughs> definitely. It's just, it's it's nuts. Um, but... Just like people with different golf swings and, and, and different throwing motions in baseball and different swings for batters, there's different ways to get the ball around the course. And that golf ball does not know who hit it, how it was hit, or anything. It just reacts to the way the club face comes through at impact. And it, it doesn't care what you look like or, or what your body type is or anything whatsoever. Truth. Um. So yeah, it's uh, it's it is it's it's nuts when you say Phil is fifty years old because I remember being a kid and thinking, wow, fifty years old that means like someone's gonna die soon, and well, you know, kids are dumb. No, no, definitely, and I Phil, I feel like like we said he he'll still be golfing and you know, call it five to ten years even. I 
could literally see. Well, I don't know what the oldest winner in PGA Tour history is. I'm going to say it's probably someone like Gene Saracen or something like that. Uh, I'm going to go on record right now. Maybe I should. Maybe Vegas doesn't even have a line on this. I should tell them to. But I think Phil is going to become the oldest PGA Tour winner in history. So the seven oldest winners in PGA Tour history, Sam Snead was 52 years, 10 months, and 8 days when he won the 1965 Greater Greensboro Open. Wow. that And, and literally it was like head pro emeritus there uh, mm-hmm. later on. That, um, that place is synonymous with Snead. Interestingly enough, this article is from 2018, and Phil Mickelson is the uh, his picture is actually on the cover or the the lead picture of this article. Uh, Davis Love the uh, Third won the 2015 Wyndham Championship at 51 years four months. Um, he was you're telling third. me you're telling me that Davis Love the Third is 56 years old. Uh, I am. Hmm. Um. Hmm. So and then it looks like so it looks like there's been seven winners over the age of fifty. All right, so Phil's still got a little bit of time, but I'm going to stick with that. Just like you're riding, dying with Rory McIlroy, I'm going to stick with Phil on being the oldest winner in PGA Tour history. Um, so I mean that's really a Scott Bang Bang episode. We flew through some things. Um, you know, it should be a good weekend, obviously, of golf. It's on TV, so that makes it a good weekend in this turn, you know, in this day and age. Um, you got any golf coming up? What's going on with, with your play? Uh, I was supposed to play this week uh, with one of my neighbors, um, but he had to uh, switch that to next week. Uh, so we'll be playing next week. Um, I have been hitting the range every weekend, so the swing's actually in pretty decent shape. Um, I just have to be able to get myself out and get to a golf course. Uh, one of the cool things, uh, golf related that happened to me this week, uh, because everyone is sort of traveling past my house to get to Connecticut is that the, uh, the KBS tour van drove by my house, uh, stopped at a a rest stop and I was headed out somewhere and I happened to catch the van at the rest stop. So that was pretty cool. What'd you walk away with? Uh, I got a, a few chefs and, uh, you know, a couple hats. Let me tell you a little rest stop story I had on my way back from North Carolina. So I needed some gas. Um, went to stop in to get something to drink. And as I pull in, I noticed that this one gas hose is just literally spewing gas. So That's I not went. A uh, good thing. It, it was not good. It was not good, so I went around to the other side, put my credit card in. I'm watching the guy try to fix it and stuff. Now, unbeknownst to me, inside, they had shut off everything. This guy is covered in gas, and it lets my credit card go through. I pump $0.10 worth of gas, and it stops. Now, this is a big, you know, I-95 rest area gas station. There's like 20 stalls, Mm -hmm. you know, dual-sided. My wife and the boys are inside getting some snacks. So I go in, and I'm like, hey— it stopped. Um, you know, what's what's going on? And she says, oh, we had to shut it off because a guy drove away with the hose in his car and then stopped once he saw that he drove away with it and ripped it off the uh, pump and then kept going with it again. So he fled on 95 with a nozzle and hose stuck in. There is, you know, a poor, 
19, 20 year old kid who's doused in gasoline. And the woman manager inside was like, I'm so sorry. I said, don't worry about it. And she goes, just go next door, though. She goes, we own that one, too. And you can get gas there. So everyone kind of went over. And, uh, you know, I filled up the rest of the way, minus the 10 cents that I had gotten. That's a, that's a crazy story. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so pissed because, you know, like most people out there, when you put the GPS on, I like to play my favorite game of beat the GPS time. And, you know, the time told me, like, I don't know, 1 o'clock. And I was like, well, hell no, I'm not getting home at 1 o'clock. And at one point, I was 32 minutes faster than the GPS time. And I lost almost all of it in this, mm. uh, in this gas station fiasco. We should, uh, we should find that guy who drove off. He's out there. If you saw a guy in 95 heading north yesterday, um, I guess it was... I don't even know where I was. Virginia? Yeah, it had to be Virginia, probably. I don't know. Those white lines blur after a while, you know? After a while, it doesn't matter what state you're in. It's just, it doesn't. Let's, let's just get home. Yep, you just set it on cruise control for something that's not going to get you pulled over, and you just, you know, go north, my friend. Go north. Exactly. All right, people. Well, either get busy golfing or get busy dying. All right. Take care, everybody. Hey, what's good, podcast patrons? Dan from Leave the Pin here. Listen, if you want to look good on the course, if you want to hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it, Gas House Golf is the company you need to get on board with ASAP. Gas House Golf, newest apparel company out there, making you look fantastic. Look, the shirts are fire, the hats are fire, everything they do, everything they touch looks great on the course. You want to stand out, you want people to notice you, want people to notice your game, get to gashousegolf.com. And right now, not only are they offering free shipping, they're also giving you an amazing 15% off code. Use our code, leave the pin, get 15% off all your purchases at gashousegolf.com. All gas, no break, Gas House Golf.